Uh, we have five children. Good thing we're getting this on recording. Um, Sarah is actually in youth group now. She's 12. Samuel. And the boys were overdue for haircuts, okay, in this, and they did get haircuts, okay. just in case you're wondering. Uh, Samuel's 10. Jillian turned 8 on Sunday. Will is 5. Um, Amber is 3. So that's our that's our crew. Um, and... It's really interesting now that I'm kind of at the point where uh, I've got a child in youth ministry. Um, I've been doing some sort of sort of student ministry around 19 years or so now. Um, so before I came on staff with RYM, I was working at Pear Orchard Press in Ridgeland, Mississippi, and I was there forever. 12 years in some capacity in their uh, student ministry. I was uh, intern and then director of junior high ministries and then youth director for a time. And then came on staff with RYM as director of resources and I've been on staff for over uh, three years with them. Um, so that's just a little bit about me. I know some of you uh, saw the infomercial at lunch uh, yesterday about uh, resources and what all we're, we're trying to do to serve the local church. But... Let me transition to this. Uh, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read from Galatians if uh, you want to get ready to turn there. But let me, let me pray for us first. Uh, Father, we give You thanks. Uh, we thank You so much for a week like this where we can gather together, uh, where we can fellowship, where we can laugh, where we can uh, sing uh, truth back to You, where we can have truth preached to us and taught to us. And uh, Lord, it is a very full week. And uh, Lord, we are, we are weary, all of us. And uh, Spirit, we, we ask You to help us to uh, focus on the truth of Your Word, uh, that You would help us, especially this last full day of this uh, conference, after lunch, the afternoon, uh, we ask that You would uh, help us to hear from You, uh, that You would uh, help us to, to decrease and You to increase, that You would help us to, to be reminded of the focus, the point um, of our ministry, um, and that's Jesus Christ, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, like I said, this is uh, yeah, entitled Ministry Necessities, and um, I'll continue to unpack that a little bit, let you know exactly what it is I'm talking about. But Galatians chapter 1 is where I wanted us to, to focus. I'm, I'm just going to highlight on verse 10, but just giving us a little bit of context as, as we read. Um, and I'll refer back to this in, in just a little bit. But Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, sorry I don't have it up here. You can just listen if you'd like. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished, and I do just want to pause here, and some of you may know this, but typically in Paul's letters, he has a Thanksgiving section, and some of you may know he's just omitted that here. And so he's, as one of our professors said at seminary, he's saying, I'm ticked off. He just scraps all of the Thanksgiving and just rushes into this section. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one. 
But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Um, so again, I want us to focus in on that verse. Um, am I trying to please man or God? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's something I want us to see, that there's not an either or there. Um, as I was giving the, this talk at YLT in, in Nashville, we had gotten there the, the week uh, weekend before, and we went and attended a church service, and they were installing a pastor there. And they, uh, he used this verse um, to, to, to caution this new pastor of the temptation to please people over pleasing God, and that there's not an, an either or there. And again, Wanted to highlight that now, but that'll come up a little bit later as we get into this uh, a little bit more. Here's the outline for what we're going to be uh, covering. First, I'm just going to define what, what's what's necessity. Kind of get us to define that a little bit more to think about. Okay, what what is it we're we're actually talking about? And then also answering like, why is this important? Why are, why are we spending some time talking about these? Why are we even having this you know as part of this conference this week? Uh, and then towards the end, I want to give some specific necessities uh, that I would like to encourage you with. <clears throat> and I'll say this again. These necessities are not inspired necessarily. There's some uh, biblical wisdom that I think goes along with them, but I'm not saying, okay, do these nine things and your ministry is going to go perfectly or anything like that. Um, But let's begin by defining, okay, what is a necessity? Um, And let me just throw that question out to to you guys. Um, How would you define necessity? Just dictionary definition. What's necessity? (coughs) Somebody. Okay, something that's needed. How else would y'all define it? Go without it and you die. Okay, go without it and you die. Good. Okay, not a want. How else would you define necessity? These are good. Non-negotiable. Okay, non-negotiable. Good. So just the the dictionary definition here. Something indispensable. An imperative requirement. A compulsion to do something. There's a sense in which it's an action item. Like do something. Um, Some some synonyms of necessity. Essentials. Must-haves. Needs. Requirements. But but as we define this, what, what I want us to see is who decides who's a necessity or what's a necessity and what what isn't? How, how do we decide or know something's an essential in our life? Um, there's this old movie called Three Kings. Has anybody seen Three Kings? It's an old movie. Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Um, it kind of dates me a little bit. I think it was like 1999. I'm not necessarily recommending this movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. It has George Clooney, Ice Cube, and uh, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Um, and it takes place after the, um, 
aftermath of the Persian Gulf War. And there's some gold that's supposedly somewhere out there that George Clooney's character hears about, and they're wanting to, to steal this gold. Since there's kind of a, it's a ceasefire, but the war is kind of still dissipating a little bit, and so they're thinking, okay, there's millions of dollars of gold that's just out there. We could take this, and we can, we can have this. And... Um, his character through the whole movie, he, he asks the, the question at one point. He, he says, you know, what's the most important thing in life? And he just asks the various guys that are with them. And they, they start asserting what they believe to be the most important thing. And he says, necessity. Necessity is the most important thing in life. And he continues to stress this throughout the movie. And the necessity is getting the gold and getting home. That's their necessity. And he continues to just stress that throughout. And then there's this one very <laughs> tense scene, sobering scene in the movie, where a civilian mother is killed in front of her children. And as he's been stressing necessity this entire time, again, getting the gold and, and leaving, he gets out of the car to get involved in this uh, you know, issue that's, that's just occurred. And Mark Wahlberg's character screams out to him, What happened to necessity? And he said, It just changed. It just changed. And that moment... What necessity, again, that he had been stressing, that necessity was thrown out the window. And a new necessity came up. And so what I want us to see, that that part of necessity is the fact that it is fluid. As we begin to understand what what necessity is, how we can define it, even though it is an imperative requirement that's vitally important, but it may change giving on life and in situation. And in this case, ministry. Um, I can think one time we had planned a, a little mini retreat with some students who were, were leaders in the youth group and were, were having this, this kind of leadership weekend. And we put a lot of planning into that. And we obviously had various objectives and goals that we wanted to accomplish that weekend. And as we're there with the students and we're hanging out with them, it was a, it was a Saturday morning, my boss got a phone call. <clears throat> and he just came to me and said, we got to go. And I was thinking, we're just kind of getting started. Why, why are we having to leave? And uh, I got up and I left. And we had another leader there that was with the students. Um, but we just got up and, and left the students. And I got in the car and he said, so-and-so in our youth group's mom had just called. And um, supposedly our student had pulled a butcher knife on his mother in the kitchen uh, in this heated argument. And... You know, we're driving there, and he's kind of explaining this to me. And this was very early on um, in ministry. And he was like, you know, okay, I'm going to get there. I'll talk to the mother. You'll talk to the student. And I'm thinking, the student's got the butcher knife. Like, <laughs> why don't you take him, you know? Um, but, I, but I'm also thinking, okay, what have I signed up for? This is insane. Um, you know, this was not what I had planned when I said I would you know, serve in student ministry. But <clears throat> to see, again... Just an example, that necessity in that moment changed. All the planning that we put into that was, was thrown out the window. Um, that students were actually left there with questions. They had no idea why we left, and obviously we could not tell them why we left. Um, but again, necessity changed in that moment. Um, and to look, just to illustrate this a little bit further and to maybe kind of personalize it a little bit for you guys, um, just show of hands here. How many of you got a job description at the church you're serving in. Okay? That's good. It's more than I thought. It's really good. I think I asked this in Nashville and it was 
maybe four or five out of, I don't know, 30 or so in the room. Um, so look, uh, as we think about okay, the job description, some of you may know your job description. Sometimes those are incredibly vague and incredibly unrealistic as you get those. Um, it's basically like, be Jesus. That's what we want you to be. Um, think about this a little bit more, okay? What's a necessity in your job? Try to answer this from the way that you think the leadership in your church would answer this. Whatever the leadership in your church looks like, what, what's a necessity? Like if we brought them in here and we asked them, okay, what is a necessity in their job description? How would they answer that? And let's think positively first. So what are, yes, Brian? To love God and be growing in my personal relationship with Him. Okay, good. So to love God, to, to have that personal devotion in your life? Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Absolutely. What are some others? Is that a hand raise? Or? Uh, uh, connect with both parents and the kids. Okay. Build relationships. Mm-hmm. Build relationships with the parents and the students. Right, what, what about some negatives that you think? Um, so some negative ways in which they might assert, yes? Okay. <laughs> just what, whatever they feel like. Just hey, okay, do this. Yeah. Okay. It's true. Um, they're actually working on job descriptions right now, and I follow the first iteration. And one of mine is to make sure every ministry in the church is working well. <laughs> Define well. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so again, just the uh, being vague in that. It's like, okay, what does that even mean? That can be negative. Yeah. What are some other negative ways in which they may define or tell you what they think is necessary for you to do? Any others? They put a lot of like program-specific stuff in there, like mm-hmm. these nights, these events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That they measure successfully. Yeah. And just kind of just busyness, just mm-hmm. keeping our students busy, keeping you busy. Um, well, that might be a good segue. Okay, if we got parents in here in your ministry, and we said, okay, what's a necessity in this job? More positively, all right, what what do you think some of your parents would say? It's a necessity, yeah. Get together with my student on a regular basis. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Get together with their student on a regular basis, yeah. Most similar to just love my kids. Yeah. Love my kids. Good. What else? Yes. Maybe get my kids to talk to you about stuff that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's big. Yeah. Freddie seconds that. Yeah. What else? Positive. Help them navigate um, challenges they're facing. Mm. Yeah. Come alongside them and help them navigate those challenges. Uh, uh. Teach them and train them. Okay. Teach and train. Uh, what about some negatives, maybe, that your parents may say? Like, all of the hands should have gone up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brian, yes? Disciple my kids from me. Okay. Yeah, like kind of the whole, let's just outsource the discipleship, right? I think that can be common. Yeah. I think combining that one with Charlie's, uh, instead of just love the kids, that can turn into, well, love my kid hmm. the most. The most. Yeah. I know I get to love all of them, but like, love mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep them now, walking away from the faith. Mm, man. Don't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, this, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keep my kid out of jail. <laughs> keep them out of jail. Keep them trouble, and it's all from you know keep them busy to keep them from doing that. Yeah. Make sure they're constantly entertained. Yeah. 
constantly entertained kid. Work yes. Did you have? Oh, I'm sorry. I was not it was similar to what he said. We had a mom get really upset that we weren't facing our entire ministry around making sure kids had fun. Hmm. That should be like the central objective. Is wow. Wow. Jesus, yeah, fun. Yeah. Up here. Yeah. Andrew, did you have your hand up, or did you <laughs> say something, Andrew? I'm <laughs> okay. Good. I'm just, I'm just glad I'm not going insane. So that's good to know. I don't know if but one of my, uh, I've heard parents use is they want their kids to have an organic want to be mm. at church so I need to make them want mm. to be at church mm. even the ones that they never have there so I've never met them but I need to somehow make them mm. and sometimes that's coming from okay the parents don't want to force them to be there but they can feel that tension so it's like okay you come fix this because for some reason they're not wanting to show up so kind of help foster that organic I want to like, I want my kid to be, want to go there organically I would love for you to meet them sometimes like oh let's get together then well we don't really have time <laughs> then I don't know how I'm going to do that <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say, uh, fit into our busyness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, accommodate our schedules. Well, let's shift this just a little bit more. We'll move on to students. All right, if we got your students in here, and they define the necessity of your job description in a good way, positive way, what do you think they would say? Help me. <laughs> Help me navigate life yeah. in this crazy period. Mm. And do it in a way that honors the Lord. Mm, yeah, and that should—I mean, I know it can sound funny—that should be encouraging. That yeah, they want oh, yeah. to come to you. To, like they, they look to you uh, when they're you know, struggling with life. Show me how my faith has been the Bible and relevant to my life today. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. See, see me as I am and love me. Mm, mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Others. Care about. Care about. Show me that I have value. Mm. Care about me. Mm. These are good. Others. I say, help me know how to go out. Help me know how to leave home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are some of the more negative ones that they might say is a necessity? <laughs> Drive me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Uber, yeah, you're you're their Uber service, yes. Change my parents' mind. Mm. <laughs> That's an easy one, right? Y'all can do that. Uh, teach me only the Bible. Mm. Other people mm. teach me the other stuff. Uh, okay, gotcha. That's so what you're saying. When I brought up that I was going to teach sex once, some of the kids were like, "Why are we going to talk about the church?" Yeah. What does the Bible have to do with sex? You know, it's like just Bible something different. Mm. 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 All right. So these are. This is good. This is helpful. Uh, hopefully, it's helpful for y'all to kind of hear some of these others negatives. Maybe students a little bit. Like, don't teach too long. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Your job is to not. <laughs> We want better snacks. And just, just <laughs> better snacks. Yeah. More snacks and other snacks. So look, uh, I wanted to illustrate just as we're defining this and and wrestling with this. I want us to wrestle with this in a sense where we're, we're kind of thinking about this more from a horizontal standpoint, you know, a horizontal necessity, um, because there are times where necessity is going to be fluid um, because of life, seasons of life, crises that come up, things that that occur. Um, But I want us to see that there is some specificity we can land on. And kind of going back to that Galatians 1 verse 10, think of pleasing man or pleasing God, 
You know, there's there's no either or that Paul leaves us with there. And so for us to, to faithfully steward the ministry that God has called us to, I think it's important for us to wrestle with these necessities and, and to think about you know, if we as we looked at each of those different groups, they're all gonna answer that differently. And so where do we go then to have some some clarity? Um and so again, I think there are some things that we can settle on that God's Word does does tell us as we kind of have that more horizontal focus. But what I want to do too is to ask, like, why is this important? Um, why is it important to, to, to define this more clearly, to wrestle with this, um, to think about this in this horizontal way? Um, because some of what we said, even the negatives, were not necessarily bad things in a, in a sense. Sometimes they, they can be for sure. Um, so as we, we think about why this is important, I wanted to read from Mark um, chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. You can listen if you want. It's a fairly familiar story. Um, but Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to Him, Teacher, we want You to do for us whatever we ask of You. And He said to them, Why do You want Me to do this for You? I'm sorry, what do You want Me to do for You? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. We can just pause and say, Idiots, right? (laughs) And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left, it is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, there's a lot that we could draw from this. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot being said there. Just some context to think of when this occurred in Mark's Gospel. That um, uh, Peter has already made his profession or confession of who Jesus Christ is. He said, you are the Christ at this point in the Gospel. The transfiguration has already occurred right before this. Jesus has told the disciples for the third time that He's going to die. And so... They know who He is, and you have the disciples going up to Him asking this ignorant request, (laughs) wanting to sit at His right and His left in glory. They're focused on their glory. Um, You know, thinking about like how I would react to this. And I mean, this is a, a youth group scenario and in many, many cases, right? You know, not saying we're, we're in the place of Jesus, but I would have been like, idiots, I'm about to die for you. Did you hear what I just said? And you're so concerned with this. Uh, but Jesus, I mean, they begin saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's not the way to approach Jesus Christ. But he even says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, how gracious and patient is he here? But, but I read this entire section just to get us to see, like, this is suffering. Right? This is a form of suffering Jesus Christ went through. 
And what I want, why I'm highlighting this is because oftentimes I think when we talk about Christ's suffering, we immediately go to the cross. And of course, that was agonizing, insane suffering that Jesus Christ went through. But what I want us to see is the daily suffering that Jesus Christ went through while He was on this earth. He was dealing with these difficult disciples all the time. And of course, we know we're the disciples in this story. We do this all the time. But Jesus is exceedingly patient with them in this moment. And the word I love for patience is long-suffering. His long-suffering with His disciples, He is long-suffering with you, He is long-suffering with me. He puts up with so much from us. He is so patient and gracious. And what I want us to see from this is that this is a form of suffering that Christ went through, and we are called into this suffering as Christians. And we are definitely called into this as those ministering in His name. But we, we know, I mean, countless times in Scripture, right? Um, I mean, Acts 9.16, when it says, I will show, speaking of Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Matthew 16.24-26, talking about denying yourselves, taking up your, your cross. Matthew 5, the Sermon of the Mount, talking about being persecuted for His name. And so, why is this important when you think about necessities and ministry? Um, because... Suffering is a necessity in ministry. I want us to see that suffering is a necessity in ministry. It's, to use the dictionary definition, an imperative requirement. Um, It's a necessary evil as a result of the fall. Um, Youth ministry is signing a contract that has suffering in the job description. Um... It's there. Um, I can remember speaking with somebody years ago um, after I'd been in ministry definitely over, I don't know, 10 years and uh, out of seminary and yeah, talking to this friend of mine and we were both just talking about how we struggle with depression in ministry. And we both were kind of remarking to each other of, do you remember being prepared for this? Like older professors or in seminary just telling us like it's going to happen. Like it's... it's you know, kind of a guarantee in some in some ways, and we were both like, "No, I, you know, I don't remember being this prepared for it." And of course, they probably did, and we just weren't paying attention in class. But but seeing again that just the the necessity of this and being you know prepared for this, and so just digging into this a little bit more and kind of using this example from the text, I want us to think of forms of suffering, the ways in which they'll they'll take place, and and these are more kind of the common everyday forms of suffering. Um, you, you know, we, we know suffering's on a spectrum, a spectrum and there are these significant major life events that, can, uh, that we go through, life in a fallen world, but kind of the everyday common forms of suffering. And the first, I think, maybe most common is, is just leadership. Leadership is a form of suffering. Um, I don't know if John Stone said this or not. Some of you may know John Stone. Um, he was with RUF for a while. He's a, a pastor in Arizona now. I don't know if this was a quote original to him or not, but he says, Leadership is about making people mad at a rate that is tolerable. <laughs> Leadership is about making people mad at a rate that is tolerable. I know Russell Moore said, Wherever you draw the line in the sand, people will hate that. That's what leadership is, drawing a line in the sand. 
Um, I remember years ago we created an electronic device policy in the youth group, and uh, I helped create that and then gave that to our youth committee. They kind of spoke into that. We all created that as a youth committee. We submitted it to our session. They all signed off on it, and everyone, you know, was thought it was a good idea. Some of the parents didn't think it was a good idea, right? They they want to know and be able to contact their children twenty four seven. And I can remember, I mean, this was hours before we were leaving for our, I think it was our fall retreat. And I'm getting calls from elders, and it's because a certain parent was calling them saying, hey, is this a policy? Isn't that right? Didn't we have a policy on this? And I'd say, yeah, okay, because somebody's calling, kind of questioning if their child can take a phone on this retreat this weekend. And then another elder called me, and I'm thinking, okay, my mind's racing. I mean, think of your mind typically before a retreat. I don't know how y'all... I'm not relaxed. <laughs> and my mind's racing, and I'm filled in these phone calls thinking, the youth committee created this, the elders have signed up on the, off on this, and this mother was just angry at me. And I had to go to church with her, right? And that's suffering, and that's leadership. And you have to make calls like that. You have made plenty of calls like that where you're going to, to suffer for it. I mean, think of just the general brokenness. Um, seeing students who are dealing with divorce, parents divorcing, um, students who are cutting themselves, substance abuse, eating disorders, sexual sin, and just the years of that. And the behind the scenes of the struggles in students' lives, and just it can wear you down. And it is a form of, of suffering. And there's a sense in which, as I've said before, it's kind of like the surgeon who cuts the you know 500th person open, and after a while they just become callous to that, and it's just not a big deal. And we can we can do that in ministry. We can become very calloused to the suffering that's all around us. And some of this can result in just kind of walking around in like a cloud of darkness and just lacking joy, um, bitterness towards others, cynicism, subtle sarcasm, which I have an appreciation for sarcasm, just so you know. But uh, when it's kind of manifested from a heart of just anger and bitterness, um, we have to be cautious of this. And, and to think of like, again, all of this brokenness in the behind the scenes that you're seeing in all these people's lives, it's happening in the place where you're supposed to worship the living God. And that becomes hard. And, and again, just years and years of that, being prepared for that. Thinking of the conflict. Obviously, you're going to have plenty of conflict as you deal with parents, as you deal with students. Um, there's that difficulty of wisdom. <laughs> when to confront students and, and knowing when to pick and choose battles. It's, we don't want to be cowards, uh, but we also want to be faithful. We've got to be cautious of winning students to such a degree and wanting them to like us to where we're too afraid to confront them when we need to confront them in a loving way. But conflict is going to be there. Think of just gossip. People are going to gossip about us. We'll get the statements of, I've heard this, you know. It's like, I didn't say this, but somebody else is saying this, right? Um, there's this talk kind of going on. And I can remember plenty of times where I knew the person who said it, but they weren't coming to me to talk about it. Somebody else was bringing it to me and typically say, I cannot deal with any, I cannot deal with this unless they're coming to me, that I cannot control every single conversation that's going on. And it stinks to know like it's going on and I'd love to be able to sit down with this person, 
but there's there's no relationship to do that, um, or there's no initiating it on the, from their side, and so you just know these narratives are going on about you, and because you're in leadership, right? Um, nobody's completely happy with with leaders, uh, typically, and so this can you know end up in despair. Does anyone even care about what I'm doing, right? Well, we've put forth all of this effort in this area. Does anyone even care? Does it does it matter at all? Um, I mean, I can remember one time bringing in Walt Mueller to speak to our parents, and um, I reached out to several area churches. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'd say 10 to 20 churches that we had reached out to, and several people knew about it. We communicated really well, and um, there was somebody, a uh, man who was really nice and supportive of this, and he rented out this big auditorium that um, a, a private school spent a lot of money on. It was like very nice 800-seat auditorium, I think. 60 people showed up in an 800-seat auditorium. And as I'm sitting there listening to like Walt Mueller highlighting just some of the insane issues students are dealing with, and I'm thinking, nobody's here. Why aren't they here to hear this? This is crazy. And the next day, it was just like, well, what's the point? I give up. You know, um, and so you can despair over that. And again, on the spectrum of suffering, it might not seem like this you know, disease you're dealing with, something serious, some major crisis, but it can wear you down. And building this stuff up over time um, is, is, a, is a difficulty, is, is a challenge. And so if we all agree, okay, like suffering is, is going to be a part of this life, kind of an A plus B equals C, if suffering is going to happen, if we know, not only am I saying these things, and I see many of your heads nodding in agreement, but we can look to Scripture where God promises you're going to suffer. So if we can say it's a positive thing, I mean, it's, it's there, it's going to happen, then maybe we can add some necessity to it to, to equal health for us in ministry. And as I said, some of these necessities, I think, can help foster some soul care. Some of these might not fit into that category as much. But, but here are nine necessities that just my time in ministry that, that have been beneficial to me. Again, my context my, is not your context. Some of these might not be helpful. Um, uh, yeah, there's definitely room for pushback. And I am trying to be aware of time and in light of one of you saying talking too long. That was one of the you know students. Uh, it's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to you guys as well. So like, I might rush kind of quickly, but then no, we can have some discussion. Uh, the first one may be obvious since we're at WLT, the need to retreat. Um, if you think of you know Luke 5, verse 16, when it says, Jesus withdrew and prayed. That there were people around him needing to be healed. There was all sorts of need around him. There were all of these people who had serious issues, and Jesus retreated. And when I say retreat, I'm not talking about like waving the white flag and giving up, <laughs> um, but getting away, retreating. I mean, this could look like a variety of ways. I mean, sincerely, youth leader training. Before I even came on staff with RYM, it was a week I had to have in my calendar to get away from my ministry context, to be around like-minded people, to receive the encouragement. of. I mean, sincerely, I mean, sitting in this room, singing together, having James preaching to us is not... I mean, it is, it is a picture of heaven. Um, and so having those times where you can get away and... and 
uh, be in, in community with each other. It could be small groups, having people that you know in your life, uh, maybe in your city, where you can say, look, monthly we've got to get together. We've got to get breakfast, we've got to get lunch, and we've got to just bash our churches. I'm kidding. Uh-huh. But have those lunches where you can just share stories from the trenches of like, this is what I'm going through. And you know that person in ministry knows exactly what you're talking about. Um, but we did many many retreats as a staff uh, where it was local. We didn't have to go stay in a hotel, travel anywhere, but we just took an entire day. We got out of the office. We'd share breakfast together. Uh, we'd go you know, have some time for personal devotions. And some of this I took uh, from Kevin DeYoung. I think he had an article on the Gospel Coalition where he kind of talked about his many retreats. You could look at the way that he did it. But just fostering a relationship with the people that you're working with. Because in student ministry, I mean... You're doing ministry alongside each other and tension can grow and, again, the suffering and all of that. And you've got to develop those relationships and work on just getting to know each other as friends. Um, I think, like, random office scene. Uh, Did you watch The Office? Some of you. There's this one time where they're hanging out outside of the office and they're all talking about their job and one of them says, can we just talk about something other than paper? And they're like, Sure. And they just sit there in silence. And it's like they don't know what to talk about because that's their entire relationship is built around that. And so thinking of that in your own ministry, like a way just to get to know each other and to get out of, of ministry. Um, but the need to, to retreat. And again, let me just say this too. Some of, some of you are fueled by relationships and being around people. Some of you are not. I mean, I can remember loving Wednesday nights, but it's like, I mean, you've got to be the comedian, the energy, the all of it, like when you're dealing with students, and I would just want to go home and curl up in a ball after Wednesday nights and just, I want to be alone for a little while. Um, and so finding those times just to get away and minister, you're around each other, a, a lot of people uh, consistently. So getting away. Um, I'd say the need to read as well. Um, I've heard people say before, leaders are readers. Um, and obviously with this, the devotional life is of the utmost importance. Our soul needs to be ministered to as we're seeking to minister to those um, under us. And, and let me just say, I think prayer can be an umbrella over all of these, but obviously as we read God's Word, praying alongside that. Um, and, and it can be difficult as you do ministry for a while where every time you open the Bible, it becomes a lesson of, okay, I'm reading this passage thinking of how I can teach this instead of just letting it speak to me and teach me. Um, and so trying to think, well, what was helpful for me, just the older I've gotten, is variety in the ways in which I read God's Word. Um, because it, it was more of the point of not feeling like, okay, this is something I need to check off my list, but something I need to survive every day. Like I've got to, because, I've said this so many times, but Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all else, desperately sick, who can understand it? I am listening to lies 24-7 from my own heart. Um, lies from the culture, lies everywhere. And this is 100% truth. And I need truth being spoken back to me. Even if I read it sometimes and say, what did I just read? I have no idea. But God's Word works apart from us and apart from our understanding. It has a supernatural power. And so just getting God's Word into me. And as I think about variety, the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated good music that's singing truth back to my soul. 
truth that I need to hear because sometimes I feel like I didn't have the energy to read it, but I can have someone else sing it to me. And so just thinking of ways in which um, God's truth can get back uh, into your soul. Um, Moving us on, I know we're kind of running out of time. Uh, The need to research. Uh, We're going to talk about this in the next hour a little bit, but the importance of the fancy word exegeting your congregation. (laughs) Um, That is understanding the people you're speaking to. That you are talking to, you know, 7th through 12th graders or 6th through 12th graders. Who are they? Um, Understanding the world that they're growing up in. And so the importance of researching their culture. I mean, Walt Mueller has been beating that drum for 30 plus years with CPYU. Um, but, but the importance of research, and what I want to say, and I think it's important for you to hear someone say this, maybe to ease your conscience at times, that sometimes the best way you can minister to students is by not being with them and sitting in your office and reading a book. <laughs> Um, that you don't need to feel guilty that if you're in your office sitting there reading about youth culture that you're not wasting your time. Um, You're trying to equip yourself to understand these students that you're ministering to more. And so taking time to even get out of the office, go to a coffee shop, go to a place where you know you're not going to be interrupted and and read a book. Um, But I can even think of this and thinking of um, a former coworker of mine, and as she was reading American Girls, have you all heard of that book, American Girls? Some of you have. And her saying to me that she could not read it for long because it was just depressing. And so again, the importance of resting, retreat, all of that, um, as we're immersed in this culture, just seeing the brokenness of it can be overwhelming. And I think if, if this is a necessity, if we're truly trying to understand our students and we're reading about the world that they're growing up in, um, well, we've got to have those, those moments to get away because, again, we're, we're going to be immersed in this brokenness that they're dealing with. Um, that leads to the next one, the need to rest. We were created by God to rest. And we're not getting into any kind of discussion of the Sabbath and what that looks like. And everybody has... Um, we're all in agreement, I'm sure, if we all just kind of asserted our views of the Sabbath in this room. Um, <clears throat> sarcasm, uh, just to let you know. Um, but what I mean by this is simply, you need a day off. Um, you need to take a day off. Um, and I'll say this, after a while of doing ministry and often having uh, people, staff under me, um, some of my greatest attention with them was forcing them to take a day off. Like, rest. <laughs> um, I mean, when we think of that commandment, the, the fourth commandment, um, can you imagine? Like, that was spoken to a bunch of slaves. <laughs> Ex-slaves. I mean, to me, I just kind of picture them like nudging each other like, why does he have to tell us to rest? Like we've been in slavery. We've been dying and we've been watching our family members die. Why does he have to tell us to rest? And it's like, look at us now. (laughs) God knew long before we did. I mean, the insanity of our cultures and just the obsession to be busy and to not be able to stop. Um, But taking a day off... Um, and again, like being cautious too. I think you know. To this is you know some some more discussion we can have. But getting away from our devices, 
Um, I think it's synonymous with that. I mean, even if it's your day off and a student's like, hey, what's a passage on predestination? You know, if they're wanting to argue with their friends at school, it's like you become the, you know, the Google for them. Hey, Siri, you know, uh, give me something. Um, That's why it's so hard to get away from it. And it's so constant. And so... The, the, again, the older I got, not just because I was getting old and just, you know, crotchety old youth guy, I had to just disappear some days. And just no one could get in touch with me. You know, I'm with my family. Um, and so guarding that, having a day off, and to, to be cautious if, you, if you're not. Um, you, you're going to give out. Um, you're not omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Uh, you're not the Savior. I mean, part of the, I mean, I think we can all agree on the fourth commandment on this aspect is part of it is saying, God saying, trust me. Like, I got this. <laughs> not you. You can go to bed and the earth is still going to keep spinning because of my power, not because of yours. Um, and so resting has a necessity. Um, I'm almost done. The need to rebuke. Um, in our pursuit to love our students and have them love us, we, we've got to be cautious of never offending them. Um, to call them to repentance. And again, Galatians 1.10, just thinking of man-pleasing versus you know, pleasing God. Um, rebuking others needs to be done in love without a doubt. But rebuking guards us from just feeding the idol of people-pleasing in our hearts, which God knows will destroy us. Um, and, and so ultimately, again, that, that verse, just there's no either or there. And so it can allow us to kind of attack those idols of just needing others to just love us and, and affirm us. But we, we, we know we're called to rebuke students. I mean, just thinking of the TikTok example that was given the other day and just the complexities there. I mean, there's so many things going on in our students' lives where if we love them, we've got to speak strong words to them. And we do it in relationship, we do it in love, but we know... You know, they're harming themselves. I mean, again, I think James said it the other night, as you read God's Word, it's constantly rebuking you. Um, so, again, I'm, I'm hurrying us a little bit. Uh, number six, the need for recreation. God has created us as body and soul creatures. Our bodies affect our soul, and our soul affects our body. Um, this can be, look, sitting in creation. Like, Maybe not in Mississippi where I'm from, but maybe there's beauty in y'all's creation. Just kidding. Okay, there can be beauty there. Um, But just getting away, again, from devices, from interruptions, just sitting in creation. And just general revelation, God revealing Himself through creation to us. Going for a walk. Lifting weights for some of you. Riding a bike. Um, Our body, we know, does not belong to us, so how are we stewarding that body? And we've got to see again how it does have an impact on our soul. Um, Hobbies, I think, are are very important. Um, I know digital minimalism, which is out there, I don't think Cal Newport's a believer at all, but it's interesting how he talks about um, forms of recreation. That that Sometimes our rest, and I've done this so many times, of just streaming YouTube or Netflix and it doesn't end up leaving me refreshed. You know? Um, sometimes it is a helpful escape. I'm not saying like it's the devil. But there's something about like woodworking for some of you maybe. Um, maybe it's some of you like baking, cooking. I mean, for me, I love 
to, to grill out. And there's something about that that's life-giving to me. And it's work, but it's not my occupation. You know, And, and that can be restful. Um, so thinking of things like that, um, Brian Habig, years ago, uh, he's a pastor, but he's at... Uh, um, he spoke at Wild Tea years ago, and uh, I'm trying to think the the title. It's on uh, our website somewhere. But uh, he talked about Charles Spurgeon's uh, the the mentors the minister's fainting fits, which is in the book Lectures to My Students. You can get it free online, a PDF. <clears throat> but Spurgeon, you know, wrestled with depression a lot, and him just saying in there, Spurgeon, um, how much good walks would do for him and the sun just shining on him and how much that would just encourage his soul and so again just the need for recreation being life-giving seven the need to be ready the need to be ready to drop everything and serve others and i should have told you um these all start with an r so if you don't like alliteration i'm sorry but maybe uh, it'll help you remember them um the need to be ready to drop everything and to serve others. Uh, two greatest commandments, love God and love others. As we said, necessity is fluid, that we must maintain balance and have soul care in our lives, but at the same time, we've got to be cautious of just kind of erecting our own idolatry of ourself, right? And, and we've just built this idol where we're guarding every interruption and we're just trying to foster you know, this rest in our lives and guard from interruptions, but we also need to know there are times where we need to drop everything and help others and serve others and allow for the interruption, which Jason Halopoulos, I think in his book, um, The New Pastor's Handbook, he says there are no such things as interruptions, right? <laughs> They're ordained and orchestrated by, by God. Um, so the need to be ready. Two more, the need for regularity. Our God is a God of order. Our God spoke order into chaos. There is a rhythm to life, and we can clearly see that in the creation account, that sin does bring chaos. And so I think a schedule is important. And I know in youth ministry it's like, schedule? What? How how in the world can I keep a schedule? Um, And again, there's going to be seasons in life where it's just busier. Um, I know there there are some times where it's, I know I'm putting in more hours than what I'm paid for, but I'm also going to be cautious to take comp time that next week and to have some time off to be with my family. And so just knowing there's going to be busier seasons, you probably know your annual calendar to where, okay, this is going to be a busy season, but to also try to have that schedule in your life. Um, What became vital for me the older I got in ministry was to have more of an 8 to 5 job with youth ministry and some Sometimes people are like, it's not an 8-to-5 job, and I would absolutely say it can be. You can make it an 8-to-5 job, and uh, you know, as you, again, grow older, and you know, if you're married, if you have children, um, that's your, your primary ministry. Um, you, you've, you've got to, you cannot sacrifice that for you know, the sake of, of ministry, and so being cautious of having no kind of boundaries there. Lastly, and I'm done, the need to be replaced. Um, Mark DeVries, in his book, Sustainable Youth Ministry, says, We are all interims. Someone is going to replace you. <laughs> You're not keeping the kingdom going. It's not all about you. So asking, how are you preparing for the next person to come in and to take over? And it's helpful to think about that, not only for the sake of the ministry God has placed in your care, um, to steward that and to know, okay, when you do leave, someone can step into that and it'll continue to go. But it also gives you the perspective of you're not the Savior. <laughs> um, and I think in ministry it's important to make sure you're not the one up in front all the time. 
Um, and sometimes you may be thinking, well, I don't have the staff. I can't allow someone else to get up there. Have volunteers step in for you to where you're not in the room maybe one Sunday while, you know, during Sunday school or whatever your teaching time is. Somebody else stepping in for you. So that way your students are seeing someone else leading. They're, they're not thinking, like, this thing cannot survive unless that person's up there front, up, up in front. And so to be reminded, we're all going to be replaced. <clears throat> Jesus is the true king. He's the head of the church. It's ultimately about him, and we can illustrate that to our students practically by allowing other people to step in. Um, so look, I know I went just a little bit long. Um, no time for Q&A. Sorry, no questions. Um, 